Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. As sports keeps coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, BetOnline.ag. Major League Baseball and the NBA are in full swing, and there are no shortage of ways to get in on the action. BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. Also, tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather joins the Bet Online team in a new segment called The Ice is Right, where he talks about his expansive jewelry collection. He'll give you the chance to win some great prizes and bet on the cost of his bling. Visit betonline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Uh, don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back to sports bonuses. Bet Online, your online wagering experts. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. episode of the bird calls i'm your host and contributor to the bird rights and bleacher report preston ellis i have to write for bird rights it's it's been at least a week uh but today we are talking lonzo ball as well as taking your questions uh then i'll share a conversation i had with justin mccurdy the executive director of manhattan west asset management and financial coach to some notable nba players including a current all-star but first up uh we have to bring on uh Mr. Rich Paul Hater himself, Mr. Ali Cosell. What's going on, man? What's going on, Preston? I'm doing all right over here in New Orleans. We, we're lucky we dodged another storm. So, you know, nobody can complain. Nice. Very exciting stuff. And also, uh, Mr. Jamile Dunn over there. What's going on with you? Uh, I don't know, here in Dallas. Uh, and uh, just just getting ready to hate on Rich Paul, which is one of my favorite pastimes. Second only to hating <laughs> on the Lakers in general. So. All right, let's go ahead and dive right on into it. I'll go ahead and start with Jamile. Uh, Lonzo Ball announced this week that he has partnered with Rich Paul and Clutch Sports. And this was a polarizing topic for some, although uh, some others in our specific group, you know, don't don't really put too much stock into who a player, uh, you know, uh, hires as an agent. But just in terms of Rich Paul, we have a very close and recent relationship with him. Obviously, he was very public about uh, getting Anthony Davis out of New Orleans last year prior to the deadline, walked out of the arena with Anthony Davis prior to a game even being over. Nobody even told how poor Alvin Gentry during the post-game press conference had to answer questions about it. Uh, Said to a reporter that AD would not uh, re-sign with Boston, basically nullifying that potential package. Uh, and, and there was also the incident with uh, Marcus Morris last summer where he agreed to a deal with San Antonio, then went back on the deal and signed with uh, New York. He fired Rich Paul per result of it. Now, Lonzo has signed with a very agent that you could argue orchestrated his trade out of Los Angeles. Jamal, is this something or nothing? Um, I would say both. It's something and nothing. Uh, because so I had two reactions to this. So I have my initial reaction, and then I have my reaction after I kind of thought about it for a little while. 
And my initial reaction was that this was very bad for the Pels and and Lonzo relationship in general, right? So um, basically, you know, there's got to be bad blood between, you know, especially the higher-ups in the Pelicans organization and Rich Paul, not for necessarily getting Anthony Davis out of New Orleans, but for the really, you know, there's a way to do things. Um, And I think, you know, nowadays it's always popular to say, you know, you know, we always support the players, players are always right and all this stuff. And, but, but still in business in general, and just in life, there's a way to do things. There's a way to leave. Right. Um, And like what you mentioned with AD leaving the game early, uh, saying he had an injury and really, you know, they just wanted to get a head start on All-Star Weekend and all that kind of stuff uh, that was going on at that time. You know, that really left a bad taste in everybody's mouth, along with a lot of the other things that went on during that period of time. So um, there's got to be somewhat bad blood there. Now, granted, that was with a different front office. I'm sure there's still lots of people who were around then um, in the front office. But, but you know, Rich Paul does have a better relationship reportedly with David Griffin, although you know, it's not uh, as close as people may think, but they did have some success together winning a championship in Cleveland. Uh, although, you know, Griffin hasn't necessarily glowed about how that experience felt, you know, even though they had the success. So my initial reaction was that it was bad. But then after I thought about it for a while, Lonzo's had a ton of agents. I think this is his third or fourth agent uh, since he's been in the league. We know about the business struggles he's had. Um, and this was really his first opportunity to make a decision on his own. He said uh, in his comments that I read in the ESPN article, he said that, you know, this was his first time solely making the decision, parents not involved, just making it as his own businessman. And to be honest, he probably doesn't have a lot of trust given some of the things he's been through uh, on the business end of the game. Uh, and so who better to, in his mind, who better to go to than, you know, the guy who's the agent for probably the best businessman in the NBA in LeBron James. And he also still has a close relationship with LeBron. Uh, so I don't think from Lonzo's end, he probably thought about it like, oh, this is going to alienate me from the Pels. But I do think that the Pelicans are just one of multiple options in his head. I, you know, it sounds like he's still in on the Pelicans. But, you know, he's only got a year really left on his deal um, before a decision has to be made. And so, you know, in his mind, he probably thinks, yeah, I could be with the Pels or I could be somewhere else long term. I just want somebody to handle that. But, you know, I personally think Rich Paul was probably, you know, not a great pick. Now, one little caveat here, the I know this is not the same organization, but it kind of is. The Saints just did a deal with Clutch Sports on Alvin Kamara, right, $77 million deal they did with him. So clearly they're still now it's a different agent, same agency, but different agent. But, you know, clearly they can still work with them. But, you know, it, it, as far as if you were really thinking about the Pelicans specifically, I don't think he necessarily would have gone with Rich Paul. But at the same time, um, at the same time, he's probably he's only been there for a season, you know. And so he's probably just thinking, you know, who's going to help me help set me up. I will caution him, though, Rich Paul, you know, <laughs> it's not he can overplay his hand right because he's always asking for the maximum he can get uh which in a way is good but also you know his style of doing that can be quite destructive um as we've kind of seen in the past so those are my initial um and 
and thoughts about it as well as my thoughts after getting a chance to you know simmer on it for a while. Great response. That was a, a Kevin-esque response, Ali. I, I know you'll know what I mean by saying that. Uh, I just want to recap uh, the Alvin Kamara uh, aspect of this. His agent is Demarius Bilbo. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And uh, he was a part of Revolution Sports, which was acquired by Clutch. Uh, and also, he is now heading up Clutch's football division. So he is an employee of clutch but just wanted to specify that it isn't rich paul uh who's representing him as jamal also said and also I, I wanted to touch on david griffin's relationship with clutch sports he said he had an excellent relationship with them and and a lot of us uh you know assess maybe that's why he got this job because gail benson was so confident that he could get the best possible return uh with the los angeles lakers by hiring david griffin however like you also said david griffin said that he was miserable in his time with cleveland with lebron james and you have to tie at least some of that to clutch sports who represents him uh let's go over to ali and let ali chime in on this um we mentioned that Clutch also represents uh, Alvin Kamara. You know, they they don't just uh, represent the high profile guys like Draymond Green and, and Ben Simmons. They also have guys like Dejounte Murray. Uh, there, there's a lot others, and these guys who haven't been like the forefront of the national conversation. So we might be playing them uh, a raw hand, but just in terms of of what you've been able to assess, we know that Brandon Ingram and Josh Hart have been very outspoken about how much they love New Orleans. But we know that David Aldridge and Jay Williams have both been outspoken about Lonzo Ball, that he's checked out or that he's being shopped in trades. Does Clutch, with these rumors from Jay Williams and David Aldridge, mean anything to you? No, I think those are two, two totally different separate things. Um, so I hope nobody... Lonzo Ball checked out because he wants out of New Orleans. And hey, he has always planned on joining... Or maybe he had already you know, wink, winked on joining Rich Paul at some point. Now, I don't buy that for a second. I, I, I you know, I got to get out of the way. I am not a fan of Rich Paul. I've written on him several times. And, of course, a lot of it does stem back to how Anthony Davis and his trade request was handled here in New Orleans, you know. Rich Paul went on record saying that he literally pushed a nuclear button and making it such a public disaster that it's hard to then, for me, to basically have any more respect for this guy, right? It's, it's a very competitive business, sports agency. Um, so with him having so many clients and, and stuff like this, you would think he, he would know how to act a little more professional. I know he doesn't have the education. I believe he's only finished high school. But, you know, he's been around. He's been around LeBron James, so he knows people. He's had a lot of guidance, I'm sure, and stuff like that. So for him to go the way he did, chose to, destroying not, not just the Pelican season, but the Lakers season too, right? And, you know, that's going to forever sit with me. So with Lonzo, you know, signing with Clutch or agreeing to yesterday um, that, you know, or two days ago, that, 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 that does raise an eyebrow for all New Orleans fans. And it should because, look, you have a bad taste in your mouth because one of the best players in New Orleans franchise history literally pushed himself out the door. And Rich Paul was the one banging all the doors down for AD. So now that you've got this future supposedly cornerstone. You, you saw what he could do with Zion Williamson. You have hopes and you saw him make three pointers and make a couple of other advancements in the game, but you hope that he can be around for a while. But suddenly this kind of almost puts a dent in those plans because, because of that bad taste in the mouth. So I'm not sure, like, like with the way Jamal described it, I'm still not sure how I feel about it overall, like long-term. Like, for instance, Preston, you had a great tweet. Okay, we can trade him now. Honestly, that was my first gut reaction, too. You know, I don't want that drama. 
But then when you look at Rich Paul's client list, you guys have already alluded to Alvin Kamara. But man, I think he's got like 40 or 45 NBA players underneath him within that clutch sports umbrella. And not every single one has been like a bad negotiation, right? I mean, I pointed out to you yesterday, Preston, in our group chat, but I think Yusuf Nurkic, honestly, I think that's a good deal. Four years, $48 million. And there's several other players on there, like DeJounte Murray. There's some other ones that are fair that were really low-key signings or re-signings that I don't think that, you know, Rich Paul is just maybe completely deserving of driving up the worst-case bargain. Because, look, he had all the leverage in Cleveland. So, of course, the J.R. Smith and the Tristan Thompson deals look bad because, look, LeBron said sign him, and he held up for the most money. And, look, they caved. David Griffin caved. I don't think that's going to be the same scenario, like especially in Lonzo Ball's case, because there's no LeBron James here, right? And I can't imagine also LeBron suddenly saying, well, I want to play with this guy to finish out my career either, like he did with AD, who, of course, felt the same way. LeBron uh, was his idol. So from that standpoint, I don't think there's anything to fear. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll just hop right on in and get some of those other uh, clients. Uh, guys like John Wall, obviously, but then you've got Alonzo Trier, you've got Dion Waiters, uh, uh, Mitchell Robbins, some unheard of guys, guys I don't even recognize, Ike Nwamu, uh, who plays, I, I, I want to say in Europe, he's an unrestricted free agent, so he's probably not back in the NBA right now. But then you've also got Nerlens Noel, you've got Tyrese Maxey of Kentucky, who's going to be a first-round draft pick this year. You've got Trey Lyles, Corey Joseph got a great deal from the Kings. Uh, Montrez Harrell's in line for a big payday. Uh, Jordan Clarkson, Contavious... <laughs> uh, yeah, Contavious Caldwell Pope. And we'll we'll get to that in a second. Uh, I, I wanted to rehash the Marcus Morris uh, bit because there's another important aspect that I forgot about it. So he goes to uh, San Antonio. He uh, comes to terms with an offer, then decides he actually wants to play in New York, fires Rich Paul, and then gets himself traded to Los Angeles, uh, just all over the place. Obviously, not all of that can be linked to, to Rich Paul, but just another example of of Rich Paul can seemingly do what he wants, and that is to the benefit of the player. I want I, I want to assess that, that, that he is doing what these guys want. He's not going behind their – I mean, we can argue about the semantics of how it's done, but he is getting these players what they want. Our argument right now is that maybe isn't done in the best-natured way towards a team. From a team aspect, you might not want to deal with this guy because whenever he does want something else, he is going to act, and he is going to get it for that client. And uh, I'll, I'll pass this back over to – to Jamile in terms of Lonzo Ball, obviously a number two overall pick. Uh, uh, you can say that he headlined this trade alongside of Brandon Ingram. You can throw in a heart in the picks with that uh, if you want to. But it seems as if now he was just quoted the other day as saying he wants to be most improved player. It seems like Lonzo Ball is going to want a lot of money, and he thinks that Rich Paul is going to be the one who can get it for him. Yeah, I mean, anybody who gets drafted that high, any of those guys who get drafted, you know, top five, they always, unless they're a complete bust, you know, like an Anthony Bennett uh, or something like that, unless they're a complete bust, they are, <clears throat> excuse me, they're always looking for basically a max deal on their next extension. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's what Lonzo is going to be looking at. And I think that's what he's aiming towards when he says he wants to be the most improved player next year. I think he's looking at what Ingram did this year, which is probably going to get Ingram a near max contract, you know, for his years of service um, with the Pelicans. And I think he's looking for the same, the same thing, whether it's with Pelicans or anybody else. Um, but I would say, I would say though, that, um, yeah, Rich Paul is trying to get the most for his client. And I mean, this is kind of a nuanced opinion, but 
you know, in, in negotiations, sometimes you can get the most and still lose a little bit. And what I mean by that is sometimes you, you, lose, you, so, you have so much leverage and you use that leverage to the maximum ability so that you can get that short-term maximum whatever you wanted, but you lose something long-term. Like case in point, LeBron James, you know, Rich Paul used his leverage to get Tristan Thompson overpaid, J.R. Smith mm-hmm. overpaid in Cleveland. And then Cleveland had no uh, flexibility. They had to basically bend or they were going to lose LeBron because he's on an option year, basically every year he was in Cleveland. Um, And so they basically either had to do it or lose LeBron. So they did it, but then they couldn't build anything around him, uh, you know, moving forward or any type of long-term plan. Uh, So in a way, now maybe LeBron always had in his mind that he wasn't staying. And if that's the case, then you can understand why you would have that short-term calculus but um, but if you're thinking long term and trying to build something sustainable, that's not the way to operate with an organization um, uh, with, with an organization. And and yes, Rich Paul does have lots of smaller clients, and every deal is not necessarily a, a bend you over the barrel deal. But the issue is if he has a, a client that is key to your franchise, that is when he will use that leverage to do all kinds of other things that aren't necessarily in your interest. And I don't think teams have an issue paying players, right? In the NBA, if you're a player of a certain caliber, you're going to get paid, right? It's not the NFL where they'll try to, you know, basically never pay you if they can. Um, You're going to get paid. So I think if Lonzo performs, he's going to get the deal that he wants based on pedigree and performance, if that improves. Um, But where where it would have to give an organization pause is, okay, if we are signing Lonzo to a maximum deal, we are now in business with Rich Paul um, in a way that maybe we don't want to be, right? If, if, if Rich Paul was representing Kendrick Williams, you know, okay, whatever, okay, fine. You know, it, it doesn't really <laughs> matter. He can't leverage you using that. But if you have a max player um, who's represented by Rich Paul, there's all kinds of shenanigans that you can now be roped into uh, that Alley kind of, kind of alluded to. So I, I think I still, because of the caliber of player that Lonzo has the potential to be and probably feels that he is in his own mind, you know, that could be an issue going forward because I think he's signing with Rich Paul based on, you know, what he's seen him do for LeBron and, and guys of that caliber because we may not think of Lonzo in that caliber, but Lonzo who has his entire life had people tell him he's the number one prospect. He's, in, he's this, he's that, you know, his dad pumping him up and all that. Um, and he has been good, you know, as an early, early player coming up through the ranks. So he thinks of himself in that category. Um, and, and I think it's dangerous to get in bed with Rich Paul with a player of that caliber. No, well said. Uh, and Ali, uh, I guess I'll just go ahead and ask the question a year from now, do you see Lonzo ball in a Pelicans uniform? Um, I do. Unless he tanks, regresses from the last three and a half months before the bubble from that type of play where he's honestly got something more than just passing and a little bit of rebounding and defense to his game, i.e. shooting and scoring the ball, then I think he will be re-signed because it's hard to ignore where this team's headed, right? Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram are going to be the cornerstones. Unless somehow Griff's able to flip one of them for 
say another superstar in the league, like a Giannis or whoever, I'm just making stuff up here. You've got to think B.I. and Zion are tied into, you know, the foreseeable future, at least the next four or five years together. And so you're going to need certain players that fit with those guys who are going to be high usage um, all over the court. And Lonzo, I think his game fits perfectly. So I do. I, I think he will stick it out. The question, of course, will be um, who you get next to him, right? Because I'm not sure of Drew Holiday's uh, future here. And so you're going to need kind of a specific guy next to Alonzo Ball. Basically, you're going to need somebody that's a dependable score. But, you know, that, that's taken into another conversation. But, yeah, Preston, to answer your question, I do. I think Lonzo's going to be here. So Griff's probably already getting ready for those contract negotiations. I'm sure that extension talks probably wouldn't last more than an hour, right, because Lonzo really didn't finish strongly. He's probably going to want max money versus uh, Griff's not going to want to offer anywhere close to that. So it's just going to be a prove it type of season, just like B.I. went through. And I don't think there should be any hard feelings, especially when you saw how B.I. reacted to it, how he handled it. So knowing Lonzo enough, I, I, don't, I don't think he's got any kind of personality, you know, disorders that you have to worry about him being offended by this, right? So I think there's no problem there. So let's see how the season plays out. But if it goes anywhere to, like, what we kind of expect it to, then, yeah, I think Griffel and, and uh, Rich Paul sit down. And they should be able to hammer something out. Uh, before I get back to Jamal, I want to follow up with Ali because something that we've been seeing on Twitter lately are all these rumors about conversations about players happening. And I'm sure the GMs do have conversations, but I wouldn't imagine that any decision would really heavily be considered without the input of a new head coach, which the Pelicans do not uh, have right now. So when you talk about, you know, dealing guys like Lonzo Ball, Drew Holiday, Ali, how serious do you think those discussions actually get without a head coach in place? Well, I think a front office almost always has like, it's like a flow chart, right? They have every conceivable scenario. They basically map out all 450 players and they probably like at least a quarter of them. At least that's what I've heard, right? There's a lot of targets teams um, place on players. So basically almost everybody can be up for a trade. So in other words, what I'm getting to is, is that the Pelicans have uh, are already considering, right? Trades, free agents they want to bring in. Um, so I just think a coach is kind of like the last certain layer or two to where it can kind of basically finalize the decision. Because, you know, for every trade that happens in the NBA, there's at least 10 or 20 that don't. So there's always, you know, that talk, like I said, that discussion. So GMs lean towards certain players that they want, but they're not going to push – uh, the button unless things all fall, in, you know, basically into place. And one of those is what you're talking about here is having coach. Cause you got to know what kind of style you're going to play. Cause I'm not a hundred percent sold that they're going to try and maintain kind of a warp speed type of quick pace offense. That kind of what, you know, basically Alvin Gentry ran, even though they've got a lot of pieces that fit, I think they, this team would benefit a lot by slowing it down. And I'm going to write about that soon, but you're right, Preston. So, if you don't know exactly what you're playing at what speed and basically, you know, what kind of schemes and strategies and yeah, you can't finalize on anything. Right. So yeah, I have got to think that, you know, coach is going to be brought in soon. And of course, you know, who, what was it? David Griffin said that he was leaning towards sometime towards the end of September. So we're almost there. So I expect for there to be a coach name within the next couple of weeks. And so that, that's not going to be a hold up, right? Because the draft trade has been pulled back or pushed back to the middle of November. Originally, it was supposed to be middle of October. So there's time for all those type of decisions still to be made. 
All right, Jamile, uh, this is a wonderful transition uh, into a question from Paul Agu- Algu, who's, I hope I, I'm sure I murdered that, uh, who says, which coaching <laughs> candidate do you think would maximize the talent currently on the roster without the need to really shake things up? And then the long awaited return of Waka Waka Wakanda, glad to have you back, uh, with the Clippers now out, do you think we hear more news about Ty Lu or Sam Cassell to the Pelicans? Or how about maybe Chauncey Billups? Jamile, would you expect this uh, news cycle to really ramp up uh, now that there's only four teams left? Uh, absolutely. And, and as Ali you know, alluded to, I, I also think in the next couple of weeks you're going to be named. I think all the coaches who, um, who the Pelicans may have had interest in are probably now out of the playoffs. Um, there's probably very few exceptions. So, so – I think, yeah, you're going to see something in the next couple of weeks. I always felt like when uh, David Griffin announced that, you know, it was basically going to be a little while before they hired somebody, that there had to be people who that people or, or, or a person, uh, a coach that was still playing in the bubble that they wanted to consider. So I assume that's what's going to go, uh, what that's what's going to go on. Um, as far as a coach who can make the most out of this roster I mean, you know, if, if you're just asking me a coach, <laughs> Eric Spolster, right? But, you know, obviously he's not available. So of the guys who are available, um, I, I would probably lean towards Sam Cassell. I, I don't think it's a, just a one answer. I think there's multiple guys who could probably make something happen with this roster because it's a really good young roster. But uh, I, I would lean towards Sam Cassell for multiple reasons. One, uh, the the Pelicans – really need to figure out their point guard situation. We've already talked about Lonzo. Uh, and he, if, if he can help Lonzo take his game to the next level, because I think Zion, once he gets in shape, you know, I think, I mean, I have no doubts in my mind that he's going to be an outstanding player. Um, and same with Ingram. I mean, it, it seems like he's self-driven in a lot of ways, although, you know, the coaching staff obviously, obviously still has to aid in his further development. But if Lonzo were to take it to another level and become that, you know, Jason Kidd-esque player, you know, maybe not quite that level, that's high praise as a Hall of Famer. Um, but if he could take it up to that level, because he does have, you know, the thing about Lonzo that makes him so tough to evaluate as a player is he does certain things that only four or five players in the entire NBA can do, make certain passes, certain plays, but then he's got other parts of his game that are so far behind, you know, even average players in the NBA. So if Sam Cassell, uh, who's worked with a ton of guards in his time as an assistant, you know, almost all the guards that have worked with him have, have, have you know, sang his praises. So if he can help Lonzo take it to another level, as well as some of the other guards on the team, um, and, and I'm also thinking they'll probably add a point guard at some point uh, in the offseason, another point guard. So if he can help those guys um, take it to another level, I think that that bodes very well for the roster in general because the other players that they have, I don't think are going to need, you know, as much tutelage as maybe Alonzo Ball could have. But Alonzo could be incredibly valuable if if he can ever figure out certain aspects of his game. So so I, w- I would go with Sam Cassell there. And personally, I think that's who they've been waiting on. Right? I think they were waiting for the Clippers to, you know, make an exit. And uh, they, have, they certainly made their exit uh, last night. So, 
Um, <laughs> so I think that I ultimately think that'll be the guy. I don't that's I don't have any information on that. That's just a, a, a guess, but you know that that's where I think it's going. It's kind of all over the place right now because you've got guys like Kevin O'Connor and Bill Simmons hinting at Mike D'Antoni. But then you've got guys uh, we've spoken to, former NBA players and personalities at ESPN, who say that Ty Lue is a, a, a near lock. And then, of course, uh, we've heard a lot about Sam Cassell. And, of course, Trajan Langdon has his previous relationship to Kenny Atkinson. Ali, do you have any idea about who they're going to hire? I think it's going to be somebody that can talk to a point guard. So I like... Of course, you guys talking about Sam Cassell. He's got to be right up there. Um, Kenny Atkinson, too. He's known as a point guard whisperer from, you know, from basically Aaron Brooks, Aaron Brooks, heck with the Houston Rockets to Jeremy Lin to uh, Jeff Teague in Atlanta to, of course, what we saw in Brooklyn. And then David Vanterpool. He's another guy because of what he did, of course, with Dame and CJ. But I just wanted to add, there's a couple of other coaches I still think that he may be considering because – for some reason, I think he, you know, impression you've mentioned this on several podcasts, David Griffin isn't a retread guy, at least not according to history, right? He came to New Orleans, Alvin Gentry was already in place, and they had a previous relationship, so that was understandable. But in Cleveland, you know, he went with two new-time uh, fresh-faced coaches in David Blatt and Ty Lue. So I, I just for some reason think he's going to go that route again. So that's why I kind of like Vanterpool. Um, but two other names, and everybody keeps saying that, look, they're, they're down to four teams in the playoffs, that there's nobody else that could be considering. I disagree. I'm going to throw out a couple of them. One is an assistant coach with the Miami Heat, Dan Craig. He's been there as long as Eric Spolstra. And I think it's time to really start considering what Miami Heat's done and wanting to prize some of that personnel out of Miami and bringing them to your organization. Because, look, they have done it the right way. They, they're not the ones that have been the splashiest organization with the history, right? The Lakers having that kind of draw. They, but they've always turned out really good teams. And there's something to that, I think. So I wouldn't be surprised if at least we hear Dan Craig, who I think has been interviewed for, was it either the Pacers or the Bulls or maybe both? At least his name was tossed around there. So I could foresee maybe Griff chasing him. And then from the Boston Celtics, Jay Larinaga. I hope I'm saying his name right. He's been an assistant coach there a long time. And I remember actually looking into this guy when the Pelicans were, had that opening before uh, hiring Alvin Gentry. You know, he's a longtime assistant up there with the Boston Celtics. His dad is a famous coach on the college scene, Jim Larinaga, who, in case you guys don't know, um, Antonio Daniels played for him up in Bowling Green. But he's got a long, successful career. And just like with his son, who has been given a lot of credit for the Marcus Smart's development and stuff like that. So, like I said, those are two great organizations with two very deserving assistants there who I could foresee Griff chasing because, you know, it is a hard call, though, Preston, go back to your your question. I don't think there is a surefire answer. And I think if, honestly, if David Griffin was already sure of who he wanted to hire, he would have already done so. So I think there's still some players or coaches he wants to talk to, delve a little deeper. And I, I, I still can't help but think that, he may lean more to like a gay guy like Kenny Atkinson if, for instance, a trade was to happen. Because let's face it, if, you, if you're trading for, say, Jared Allen, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, some combination of those players, then it makes sense to bring in a coach who was able to get a lot out of these players, who already have a lot of respect, and in an NBA where continuity is so valued, right? So I, I could foresee maybe that still being up in the air as to where possible deals could still maybe you know, give Griffin the slight, give the slight edge to a certain candidate or two. But yeah, as far as just 
overall they're being clear-cut favorite? No way. If anybody says they think they know, they're lying. 2020 has been the year of things happening that are completely out of your control. But there is one thing you can control, and that's shaving your bush. Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to remind you to do so. The Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 is a premium electric trimmer that's designed to give you a confidence boost through body image. Their ceramic blade and skin safe technology are designed to reduce nicks or tugs on your fellows down low. The Lawnmower 3.0 is also waterproof and comes with an LED light so you can manscape in the shower, in the dark, or in a dark shower, whatever floats your boat. They also just released their Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect add on to their Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. The Shears 2.0 Nail Kit allows you to pluck your eyebrows and trim your nails in style. On their website, you'll also find the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. And this will help you tame that summer swamp ass with natural hydrators and antioxidants. You'll also find the Crop Reviver, a testy toner that's like having cologne that is designed for your balls. Go to Manscaped.com and check out some of these life-changing products. In fact, listeners of this show will get 20% off plus free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code armchair. It's time to grab 2020 by the horns by shaving that front trunk. As sports keeps coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, betonline.ag. Major League Baseball and the NBA are in full swing and there are no shortage of ways to get in on the action. BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. Also, tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather joins the Bet Online team in a new segment called The Ice is Right, where he talks about his expansive jewelry collection. He'll give you the chance to win some great prizes and bet on the cost of his bling. Visit betonline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Uh, don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back to sports bonuses. Bet Online, your online wagering experts. I'll throw out one just for fun. Obviously, the Pelicans have in-house Chris Finch, who will be a candidate. But another uh, perhaps unknown uh, entity, at least in terms of coaching circles, that the Pelicans already have in-house uh, a Hall of Famer, uh, a gold medalist, uh, a former head coach in the G League, as well as assistant coach to the Sacramento Kings, Nancy Lieberman. I, I wouldn't mind if uh, she got an interview with the New Orleans Pelicans. I, I'm sure she wouldn't be interested in doing it at this stage of her career. But, Jamal, it's time for us to transition to some Brandon Ingram talk. Uh, we have a question. Uh, a Drew Zion Ingram core. How do you build a, a winning uh, culture around them? Here is another one, a heavily debated topic. Uh, this is from... Tanai, the guy, I hope I said that uh, right, as well as Kamal. Uh, it's been a heavily debated topic and would love to get your guys' take. Brandon Ingram and his value to the team currently and future-wise, would you rather other guys in that same age range uh, who might you know, uh, pair a little bit better with Zion, or do you really think he is the long-term piece to go alongside Zion, Jamile? Um, I mean, there's a couple other guys, but you're not going to get those guys. So... <laughs> As far as options that we can actually attain, uh, I think Ingram is, you know, I think he's an excellent option next to Zion. Um, now, it also depends on what you build around them, right? I think uh, Gr Griffin has already hinted at moving Ingram, you know, sort of permanently to the two, uh, the shooting guard position. So that means that you're going to need to, to find, you know, someone to play at three or maybe you play Josh Hart there. I don't know. They haven't figured that out. Maybe you fill that spot via trade, uh, which I think is probably more likely. But, and of course you need a center and all that. So um, I, I do think it depends on what you put around them to make both, because Zion and Ingram have incredible skill sets, but they also have certain areas of their game um, that 
you know, where a teammate or, or the teammates that they have will have to pick up in certain areas, um, you know, for, for certain things that they lack, right? Um, which is fine. Every player has things that they lack, and we see teams all the time that, you know, they don't necessarily try to find the perfect guy who's got all the skills for every situation. You're trying to put together the, the best set of skills amongst your entire roster that complement each other. So I, I definitely think he's a long-term uh, answer um, next to Zion as, as a sort of a co-star and, and one of the lead scorers on the team. But I think it's, it, it's very dependent on who you put around them. As far as guys in that same age bracket that I would rather have, I still like Tatum like a, a little hair above Ingram. Um, you know, he seems to be a little more dynamic. But Ingram also has a few things that I think as he develops will actually outpace Tatum. I think Tatum is way ahead of Ingram defensively right now. But once Ingram figures out the defensive side of the ball, his length, will become a real issue for a lot of opponents. And of course that's matchup dependent, but you know, just in general, I think that will, once he learns how to really use that and leverage that, I think he's got excellent defensive potential, but Tatum would be like a hair today. If, if I were talking just today, I would take Tatum like a hair above Ingram um, as far as, you know, players in that age bracket. I'll I'll get in on this exercise just for fun. Uh, I think Luca is probably universally everybody would agree. If you could trade Brandon Ingram for Luca to pair next to Zion, you do it. Uh, Tatum would probably be another popular one. Bam Adebayo would probably be a popular one. Uh, I'm really high on Jalen Brown, but I I can see why people would think that's that's lunacy. John Morant would be another one that could be oh, interesting. Yeah. Obviously, uh, Brandon Ingram's not going anywhere. He loves New Orleans. They love him. Uh, but I want to pose another fun question to you, Ali. Uh, this probably isn't as hot a take as it would have been uh, a week or two ago. But this past offseason, Paul George was dealt for Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Danilo Gallinari, five first-round picks, and two pick swaps. And I'm going to tell you right now on this podcast, I think Brandon Ingram is more valuable and a better asset than Paul George is. That's... Yeah, that's still a hot take, even though okay, Paul okay. George really, <laughs> Paul, yeah, Paul George really had a terrible, um, my goodness, playoffs. You mean play, but playoff? I've, I've always thought, what's that, Jamal? I said you mean playoff P? Oh, pandemic P, dude. He was awful. <laughs> but look, I've always thought that Paul George was a little overrated. And I have that. I kind of developed that feeling over the last year or so, and it includes anybody that's kind of a two-way player. Is given that title. But offensively, they're inconsistent. And I feel like Paul George has been that in his career, a lot like Drew Holiday. So I think these players tend to get a little bit more value than they should. And so when it's time for them to shine, you know, they don't bring it. And I think in today's game, you've got to be consistency on offense is number one because good defense can be beaten by good offense, right? And with the way the rules and the pace and everything is geared towards offenses, I think that's where the premium needs to be placed. So a guy like Paul George is worth even less nowadays than he would have been like, say, 10 years ago. So, yeah, if Brandon Ingram can take another step forward with his ball handling and his playmaking, I don't think that would be far-fetched. But standing today, I think you still have to lean to Paul George, even though, like I said, he felt completely fat in his face. Because Brandon Ingram's never done anything either, right? So I know he won the game against Utah. But, look, I can recall a bunch of other times during this past season for the Pelicans where, you know, everybody took a turn of trying to help win the team, the game in the clutch minutes, and they failed. And that includes Ingram a lot of times. Because he, he kind of became the go-to guy after the first month or so of the season to where 
they were flipping the ball to him and letting him basically create or try and, like I said, bring home the bacon, and it barely ever happened. So I don't know, Preston. For the long term, yeah, I would actually go with that bet. I would take Ingram. But standing today, I still think Paul George should be considered the better player. Uh, so I wrote about this for Bleacher Report. It hasn't gone live yet. Uh, I, I think it will tonight. But uh, in the past three games, uh, let's see, in with just over recency min- bias. Yeah, recency bias. bias of go course. ahead. Go ahead. Uh, in Game Five, the Nuggets outscored the Clippers forty-three to twenty-five to close the game. In Game Six, the Clippers led by nineteen, only for them to be outscored sixty-two to thirty to close the game. And then last night, they outscored them fifty to twenty-eight in the last twenty-three minutes. My God! Uh, after awesome. taking a three-one series advantage, uh, so now we'll get into probably what will be our last question. Good friend of the program, Ryan Anders, and a kind-hearted soul, uh, Jamile. He's referencing the podcast uh, with Kevin. Durant and JJ Redick, the one in which uh, KD had the comment that Drew was the best defender in the league at the guard position. Do you think that this is possibly indicating that the Nets will pursue a trade for him? If so, uh, and you had to pick one, would you go Levert or Dinwiddie? Uh, And I also want to say that later in that pod, uh, Kevin Durant talked about the possibilities of at least Karis Levert. Um, I don't remember if he directly mentioned Dinwiddie or Allen, but but it was clear that he is high on him. But but what did you make of those comments, Jamile? Um, so, I mean, I, I think Katie has actually expressed, you know, respect for Holiday in the past. I mean, this is probably the most effusive he has been um, mm-hmm. publicly. So, so yeah, I think that, you know, w- with these superstars, like sometimes a lot of this stuff is not random, but sometimes it is, right? Sometimes it's just talking. Um, but I do think the fit is so, uh, at least on paper, is so good between KD, Kyrie, and Drew, like he's a perfect number three, four-ish type player who will do all the dirty work. And especially on a team that really um, has a chance, at least, you know, again, on paper, it really has a chance to do something special. I think Drew would give maximum effort on a team like that where he doesn't have to do so many things um, that he has to do with the Pelicans. So I think the, the fit is obvious there. And I don't think if I can see it, I know somebody who's as smart about basketball as Kevin Durant can see that. So I do think there's a little bit of that in there. Um, and as far as, you know, who I would pick between Levert and Dinwiddie, I mean, ultimately, I think if the superstars on Brooklyn, they've already, you know, we've already seen them get the coach that they wanted, you know, in there. Um, and so if there's a player who they really want and think, you know, will help complete their little their little, uh, you know, roster. Um, I think, <laughs> uh, I think, I think they'll get them right, and I think they'll give up what they have to give up to get them. So a lot of people are of the opinion that you know that Karis Levert would be off the table, especially as well as he played in the bubble. But quite frankly, he's been doing a lot of that stuff before then. Um, but you know that gave him a high-profile sort of spotlight with everybody watching. But I do think they could get Levert if they wanted. Dinwiddie is. You know, one of those guys has to be involved just because of the whole contract thing. Um, so it'll definitely, if they were to deal with uh, Brooklyn, it would definitely be one of those two guys, plus probably Jared Allen and maybe someone else. Um, but I think they could. There's a possibility that they could get both. Um, and when you look at Karis Levert's game, I'm sure Durant respects his game because he's got a great game. But when the way he plays, I'm not sure that. 
goes very well between Kyrie and KD, right? These are two extremely high usage guys, um, especially on a team like Brooklyn, where they're where they're going to need to be high usage players. And so having another guy like Levert, and also where Levert is in his career, right? I doubt Levert, not that he necessarily has a choice, but I doubt that Levert really wants to play the third fiddle to Durant and Kyrie yeah, at, at this point in too. his career. So um, he is a young player. He hasn't gotten, you know, the big, big money yet. So he wants to go somewhere where he can cook and actually possess the ball and do the things that he can do so well. So I think Levert is probably out of Brooklyn anyway, if not to the Pelicans and to some, some place else for some other players. Um, but if I had to choose between the two, I would take Levert. I, I think his skill set is uh, a little bit better than Dinwiddie, but I have a lot of respect for Dinwiddie as well, and I have zero problem taking him on the team. I would, I would love having Dinwiddie. Did you want to follow up on that, Ollie? Yeah, I just want to say that I, I think for sure Levert's going to be moved. I think that Kevin Durant is with his comments. Um, while he's genuine, I, I think that he knows in his gut that both he and Kyrie would benefit from having guys that just play more off the ball and do other things. Can you, I, I just feel like if you were to flip Spencer Dinwiddie and Levert for Redick and Holiday, that makes such a much better fit for Brooklyn. I think Kyrie and KD would be happier, right, having those two guys instead of Levert and Dinwiddie. Now, whether Brooklyn or the Pelicans would be interested in making a deal kind of of a package like that, that who's to say? But, you know, I, I do think that, though, KD's comments regarding Holiday were genuine, going back to the original thing. I'm just curious, is anybody going to meet kind of the high price demand that David Griffin seemed to set last year, right? He was supposedly not on the trade block, according to David Griffin himself, who came on a Fox Sports telecast in the middle of a game to downplay that. But you, you know Drew Holiday. There's talks behind the scenes about moving him. There's just been way too much smoke there. And so you've got to think the Pelicans are exploring on moving him again this uh, offseason. And, and, of course, one of the best landing spots has to be Brooklyn, right? It just makes way too much sense, I think, for everybody from all angles. So, yeah, it'll, it's, I, I'm very curious to see what happens because I'm almost positive Brooklyn's going to make kind of a splashy deal, at least one. Is it going to be with New Orleans? You know, I, I'd argue Indiana might be an even better landing spot, and that's just uh, strategically uh, placing him next For to Drew, his two brothers. Yeah. yeah, sorry. I don't remember what I said. Uh, but Drew in Indiana because uh, Victor Oladipo's in the last year of his deal, a straight swap for them, uh, would work on paper. You've also got Miles Turner there, a guy who could possibly be on the move. Uh, he and DeMontis Sabonis are kind of redundant. So there, there could be a deal there. And I think if you're the Pelicans, you really want to do right by Drew if you do ever decide to move on from him. Uh, landing spots like L.A. make a lot of sense because that's where he's from. That's where he went to college. Uh, Lauren as well. Um, and Indiana placing him next to his brothers. I feel like those two places probably have to be um, what you would consider as the arguable arguable favorites. Uh, I don't know if Drew seems like a New York City type guy. Jamal, what do you think? Uh, I don't, Hell no. I, I don't I'll know. say it for Jamal. Yeah. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he doesn't seem like a New York type of guy, but, you know, look, he's also been with the Pels for a long time here, and, you know, they've, they've tried a lot of different things. Uh, he's been, you know, a great professional about everything, and it just might be that time. You know, it's, it's, it's about that time for him to move on to the next chapter of his career, and to be honest, 
he doesn't necessarily fit now. He look probably is a good fit with any team because of, of some of the things he's capable of. But with this team, as young as they are, uh, I think we saw this season that you know they're really talented, but they still have a lot of growing to do. And mm-hmm. quite frankly, from a front office perspective, the price will will probably never be as high as it is today for him, right? So yeah, it's going to keep going with, down. Exactly. Both with his contract, but then as he gets older and older, this is kind of like the sweet spot, kind of the apex for him as far as mm-hmm. value you could get back from him versus what you could accomplish with him on your team, which we've already seen with this roster, there's a limit to it. And he there's a place he can't necessarily take them. And you could probably use that 25 million, you know, better spreading it out to make this roster a little more well-rounded. Um, than just having one, you know, awesome player um, who's awesome but not awesome enough to take you where you want to go. Yeah, yeah and real Tyler. quick, I want to just add on Preston real quick. That people have got to stop thinking about maybe getting a Tyler Hero or Michael Porter Jr., which were maybe supposedly the rumor mill said Griffin was pursuing at the last trade deadline. After watching the way those kids have had their moments since that time, there's just no way I think that Drew Holly is going to be able to, like I said, return somebody of that caliber. So. Us talking about Brooklyn or you, Indiana, I think that that really just makes the most sense. Uh, Ollie, uh, it was rumored last year that uh, that Drew Holiday as well as Bradley Beal were considered by the Los Angeles Clippers before they acquired Paul George. And mm-hmm. I mentioned L.A. as a as a place that Drew probably wouldn't be against going to, uh, being that he still has a home there. Uh, a friend of the program, Coach Mike, that's where he primarily trains him. Would you entertain a Drew Holiday for Paul George trade? Ooh, Paul George's got one, what, one more year on his contract? Yeah, they both do. And a player option. Uh, you got to say yes. I mean, I guess, <laughs> right? <laughs> but then again, I don't know. If David Griffin's truly trying to build a certain culture, and you've seen kind of what the way Paul George has been over this cold course of the year, and you can go ahead and throw in how he basically just wanted to go to L.A. or big market, basically threw Indiana under the bus and didn't didn't work out in OKC, hasn't worked out with in Clipperland so far. Yeah, actually, I, I take it back. I think I'd be hesitant to do a straight-up swap like that. Oh, I don't man. see how it helps a team in the long run. you got to be thinking long picture. And if you're moving off from Drew, why are you flipping for a Paul George who likely isn't going to want to stay or let alone give up the limelight to both Zion and B.I., right? What do you think, guys? I, I just think it's fun to, to consider that uh... – how how far how, it helps. Yeah. how how far uh, Paul George stock has fallen at this point that we're that we're discussing that it might not be a benefit for the Pelicans anymore to take him on at this point. Uh, and anyway, that that's just for fun. Obviously, uh, that that trade probably doesn't. Yeah, make- but Preston, would you want to pay this dude max money? He's going to demand it, you know. And I'm talking about Paul George. But if you're already paying the max to Bi and you're going to pay Zion the max, does that make any sense? No, it doesn't make any sense just in terms of long-term fit and age trajectory of timelines, but just in terms of Paul George, who, you know, was considered a top five top player just two years ago, finished fifth in MVP voting, uh, essentially gives you everything you need from the wing, uh, not just a playmaker, a a shot maker, a defender who can defend at every position. I mean, this guy was considered one of the five to 10 best players in the NBA, Uh, not, but, but we've just seen him uh, fail spectacularly on the biggest stage. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it more fun guys to consider can the Clippers add Drew without letting either Paul or Kawhi go? Right? I was Make looking at that, but three. 
they don't have any assets really to deal. No. The best they could hope for is a sign and trade with Montrez Harrell, which if you're the Pelicans, you've already got Zion. Uh, no, I think what you else? need a third team is what I'm thinking. I'm looking too. Oh, okay. And deal like Montrez Harrell, let's say. I uh, would love to take Sh- Landry Shamit back. I think he'd be great alongside uh, both BI and a Zion-led team. I still don't think it's enough. Uh, Jamile? No, no, not uh, alone. No, not, not alone. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, if you're Jamile, able to. Do you, you want to chime in? Yeah, I don't want any part of Paul George, mainly because, all right, so like if you play this forward, so you don't trade Drew, um, and you want to trade him maybe next offseason or, or, you know, assuming he picks up his option. Uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to trade him the following offseason or, or trade deadline even, you know, you could probably still do that. The price would be diminished, but you, you could probably still do that. With Paul George, I mean, he's going to show up and his shoulder's going to fall off. Uh, <laughs> after the Which first- one? <laughs> exactly. So, you know, so the injury history would scare me as well because if you if he is short term and you're thinking about, you know, flipping even George and hopefully getting something more, you know, one injury, you know, kills that whole thing. And it also just seems like, look, LA is where George wants to be. He 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 went the long way to get there and you don't want to force force someone to be in a situation they don't want to be in because that rarely ends well, especially in the NBA, which is such a player league. All right, you guys, I got to run. Thank you so much for your time and and for playing ball with me and some of my ridiculous questions. Uh, Before I let you guys go, just want to mention that next up, you guys will hear my conversation with Manhattan West Asset Management's Executive Director, Justin McCurdy. Uh, before I do that, Ali, you mentioned that you're working on how the Pelicans could shift from a pace and space team to possibly an ISO team, a pick and roll team, a half court team. Do you want to, uh, do you want to give any words to our listeners about that? Well, yeah, I'm going to, that's going to come out sometime next week. I'm finishing up one. I'm doing actor on Drew Holiday and basically his inconsistencies on offense. And that should be talked about more than just always talking about him being a two way player, his great defensive achievements. And basically a lot of Pelicans fans just defending him to the, to the nine, right? When actually there's a lot of fault with Drew Holiday in his game. So I'm going to have that up sometime, probably either tonight or tomorrow. That sounds like a horrible idea. We're trying to build up his value, not tear it down. <laughs> I know, I know. But look, I, I want to give fans reason why, okay, maybe it's best it's time to trade him, right? <laughs> you're, you're a terrible person. Uh, Jabal, anything oh. you want to mention? Uh, no, no. Right now I'm just uh, getting ready to drop these twins. My wife is, I guess. <laughs> So, that's <laughs> yeah, the that's, main, enough. Uh, that's enough. <laughs> yeah, that's the main thing I'm focused on right now. All right, you guys. Uh, thanks so much for listening. And here is Justin McCurdy. All right, I'm talking to Justin McCurdy, the executive director at Manhattan West Asset Management. We were just talking off the air. Uh, you're you're staying in Los Angeles. When I saw Manhattan West, I just readily assumed New York. Do you work in, in both areas or just largely in Los Angeles now? Uh, really in both. I mean, our presence started on the East Coast, and we actually have a office in Manhattan Beach, California, which is uh, where the name came from. But, you know, our, our clientele and, and those we serve are all across the nation. So um, we really got a large presence across the United States. Excellent. And uh, I know that you're going to keep some of your clients uh, confidential, but just in terms of what you do and how you got to your specific role, can you give me a bit of background about what you principally do as the executive director? Sure. Um, my background really is, is you know, taking gra- uh, athletes from the ground up earlier in their careers and, and really getting them off uh, to a great start so that, you know, none of the horror stories that I'm sure you've heard of 
uh, come up. You know, it's really about financial literacy and, and building great habits on the front end of their career um, so that as they approach retirement, it, it's just a seamless transition and they can have financial freedom, uh, you know, for the foreseeable future. Excellent. Building the the building blocks of their financial uh, foundation, I, I guess. Whenever you whenever you first meet these athletes, uh, I imagine there's all kinds of variances in terms of their experience uh, with financial uh, history. What's what's the first conversation you have with these athletes? The first conversation, uh, I mean, it really varies. Uh, like you said, all my clients come from different backgrounds and, and have different un- upbringings and values and philosophies. But I think one of the key points that we try and drive home is the difference between uh, their net take home from each pay period and their gross income or their contract value. Uh, a lot of players sign for X uh, and they think that's the money that they'll be receiving. And that's obviously not the case. There's taxes withholdings, uh, specifically the NBA has an escrow and obviously professional service fees. And so when you, you, the, you know, the income gets chopped down pretty quickly and we want to make sure that for budgeting reasons, they understand what they're actually going to walk away with. Nice. Uh, I'm, uh, I read, uh, I will teach you to be rich by Ramit Sethi and I, I'm taking another financial course right now. I imagine there's so much, uh, goal setting that must be involved, uh, once you do get the parameters of uh, what the monetary yeah. value is after the, the contract, what are some of the goals that you set with some of these athletes? Uh, I mean, so it's broken down into three stages, very similar to most people. It's short-term, medium-term, and long-term. Uh, what I like to do specifically with my clients, given that they all come from a competitive background as athletes, um, you know, by nature, they've been in competition their entire lives, is I like to gamify the process, right? So we'll set a goal of uh, first a savings goal per year, um, then, you know, a, a vices goal, I would say. There, there's always purchases that every athlete or, or any person for that matter has aspirations to acquire and, you know, and as they should for all the hard work that they've put in. Um, but everything has to be at the right time. So there'll be goals on that side of the table as well. And then there's long-term goals about retirement, um, maybe helping family, empowering those around you. Once we've specified what that individual client's goals are, uh, like I said, I gamify that situation by showing them their progress along the way and getting their competitive juices flowing. If somebody sees that uh, they had a certain savings goal and they're not close to it, or they have a certain account balance and the next month it's, it's lower, usually that gets their competitive juices flowing with themselves and they're frustrated. Now, on the flip side of that, if, uh, if they're headed in the right direction, normally their confidence, especially athletes, their swag, uh, you know, that competitive juice starts to make them uh, want to save more. And it actually encourages them to continue to work towards their goals and, and do things the right way. Excellent. Making it fun uh, and, and interactive, something they can look forward to. That's that's really exactly. interesting. Uh, exactly. Now, obviously, as they see their portfolios build, um, you're going to have some ideas for them, whether it be, I, I don't know, Roth IRA, 401k, mutual funds, yeah. that sort of thing. But they're also going to come to you and say, hey, I want to invest in this or, hey, I'm really interested in this. How do those conversations go? And And what do you tell them when they come forward? Like, what do you think of this business proposition? That's a really good question. Uh, we want our we want to encourage our clients to be curious uh, without putting their, their futures at risk or their, their assets or, or capital at risk. And so I entertain conversations because I love the curiosity um, that my clients are bringing to me. With that being said, our team as a whole 
uh, we, we, we've got an extremely high bar for the investments that we recommend and approve. Uh, our due diligence process on each deal is uh, really a team effort, and we scrutinize every aspect of the opportunities that we look at. Um, usually it starts with the leadership team, uh, you know, financial statements, the, the history of, of that business, the current valuation uh, versus the future projections. Uh, there's, there's a ton of metrics that we look at to vet opportunities. And, and then furthermore, once we decide that it is a good investment, now we have to make sure it's a good investment for that specific client and make sure that, as you mentioned before, it fits in uh, with their goals and, um, and, and their specific situation. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's tailored and custom to that individual, but we definitely have a process to underwrite these deals. And I imagine those conversations grow as as the players get older and start to think more and more about their financial future. But as a young player, obviously, these guys are so wrapped around basketball. Uh, they're probably heavily into social media, social circles. They might not yet have a, a, a family to go home to. So they're they're just living life uh, maybe more so than, than an older player would. Uh, what are some of the challenges you face with younger guys who are just coming into the league? Yeah, I mean, the main challenge is, is, as you mentioned, guys are young and they're not really in a stage in their life where they might um, be as interested in, in talking about financial literacy concepts. Um, I think, you know, myself being in my 30s, uh, that age gap and that relatability factor definitely helps um, promote those conversations. Um so, I mean, that, that's definitely the main challenge is, is just getting the attention, especially because these guys are so busy, but it's, it's something that we make mandatory. Uh, you know, I always tell my clients, if I care more than you do about your money, then there's a problem. And, and that's just not something that we'll tolerate. So we demand it. And it doesn't always have to be in a conference room setting. It doesn't always have to be um, them reading a, a book that we've prescribed. Sometimes it's casual over dinner, over lunch, after a game. Um, I understand the lifestyle of an athlete, and so I'm flexible in how I uh, educate them about what's going on. But like I said before, it's mandatory that they, um, you know, take steps towards becoming financially literate and improving their, their investment acumen. Excellent. Now, I, I spoke in a previous conversation to PJ Washington about uh, some of the less conventional things that he spends money on or or would be less conventional to a, to a commonplace person who, you know, just uh, stamps in and out nine to five every day. Things like uh, yeah. tipping, things like laundry. Uh, they spend so much of their time in hotel rooms. What are some, if you don't mind sharing, some substantial bills some of your younger players uh, see that, that regular people like me uh, would, would kind of raise an eyebrow at or, or would find unusual? Yeah, I, you know, there's an uh, extreme misconception in not just – the NBA, but in most professional sports, that uh, players get free tickets. Uh, and I think family members and friends and anybody that has access or a relationship with the player expects that if they want to come to a game, that the player has unlimited access to free tickets. And that's just not the case. Depending on the team, depending on the sport, uh, usually guys will get two to four uh, tickets for free. And that's also dependent on whether it's home or away. And then after that, it comes, it's deducted out of their paycheck. So especially early in guys' careers, when they want their families and friends to come watch them, it's all exciting, fresh and new for them. Uh, I've seen some, some pretty astronomical uh, ticket numbers by the end of the year. So, 
Wow, that's super interesting for some of these guys who are playing in front of their home markets. They might have 30, 40, 50 people in attendance. And if you do that multiple times yeah. a year, I imagine that that really adds up. Uh, let's let's talk a bit about some of your recommendations to players on things that they should spend on for themselves. Uh, the, the first thing that comes to mind is obviously like maybe a, a personal trainer in the offseason when they don't have access to team personnel or, or maybe a, a personal chef. What are some other yeah. uh, ancillary items that you encourage your players to spend on? Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, I think physical fitness, um, nutrition, you know, great professional management team as far as the agent, financial advisor. I think those are uh, things that are worth spending money on because ultimately it's an investment in your career and yourself. If you're, op you know, operating at, at your highest uh, capacity on the court from a physical standpoint, if you've got knowledgeable people around you that can guide you and help you make educated decisions. Um, I think that's money well spent. And normally with people who have everything buttoned up off the court, I've seen that not only do they have success as an athlete, but they have financial success on their second and third contracts. So I wouldn't cut corners there. Um, furthermore, you know, let, let's say something that maybe your your listeners or your readers, uh, something that might resonate with them outside of, the, you know, the stuff that they already know about. Um, uh I think, like I said, for the physical fitness standpoint, to, to get more detailed, I'd say maybe somebody to, to help them uh, with their flexibility. I've seen that, that people spend a lot of money on basketball trainers on the court, and sometimes they'll do strength and conditioning. But uh, the nutrition part and the flexibility part is honestly what offers longevity. And, and so I think, you know, like I said, uh, they, they shouldn't cut corners there. Uh, encourage them to buy hyperbaric chambers and that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, recover, recovery, um, you know, all that stuff is just really important. And a lot of these guys come in the league, especially the NBA is drafting so young now. They're in the league at 18, 19 uh, years old, 20 years old, and they feel like they can run and jump forever. But, you know, once they get to their mid to late 20s and, and early 30s, obviously, obviously their bodies start to uh, break down if they haven't taken good care of them. So I think that's something that I definitely encourage my, my players to to spend money on. Now, you talk a lot about uh, keeping their bodies right and making an investment in that. Obviously, they've got a professional team with them to help, uh, I guess, quotation, build their brand, uh, so to speak. Yeah. But just in terms of the the relative age of some of these athletes, like 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, being given millions of dollars, everybody's lighting up their phones, uh, they've got endorsement deals, they have to navigate their way through, constant interviews, constantly being uh, thrown around and traded in social media circles. How yeah. do you... How do you invest in your athletes psychologically and 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 maintain, I guess, their mental fortitude while they navigate all these uh, things that that people like you and me uh, can't possibly really imagine? Yeah, I mean, I think it really comes down to having a personal relationship with your clients, and and uh, obviously, they're not hiring me to be their friend; they're hiring me to be their financial advisor. But I definitely want to support them. Uh, you know, with their personal lives, anything that they want to talk about, having that open line of communication and transparency, allowing clients to vent, um, you know, mental health and mental wellness has been a hot topic and, and, very, and it should be because it's, it's extremely important. And so for any clients that might have challenges off the court or, or um, you know, everyday stress that most people don't understand, because as you said, they have a lot on their plate. I also encourage them to seek help, right? I, I think a lot of athletes uh, are 
you know, they're, they're trying to be gladiators and they never want to seek professional help from counselors or therapists. Um, but, you know, that's very important. Uh, most players can't play well when they're upset or sad or emotional. When they get on the court and they're not calm, cool, and collected uh, or poised, usually they don't perform well. And obviously that has a direct impact on their longevity and obviously their financial future. So um, I'm a big supporter of making sure that your mental wellness and mental health is taken care of. And if that means hiring a professional, then uh, I'm all for that as well. Especially in these uncertain times, I can't imagine what they're dealing with, with what everyone's dealing with, with what's happening in our country right now. Um, I'll I'll get you out on one fun one, if you don't mind. I I know we spoke about ancillary spending and we talked about uncommon spending uh, with tickets. But obviously, you know, these young athletes, they they spend a lot of money on on video games, on shoes. Uh, Some uh, PJ Washington spent five thousand dollars on a dog. What's something that these young players spend a lot of money on that kind of makes you roll your eyes? Really, this again? I mean, the the obvious one is is uh, is vehicles. I, I had a conversation with a client yesterday about um, not necessarily needing uh, as many cars as he has, and so I mean that that's probably the most common one is the cars. Um, the houses, obviously, depending on what the purchase price is and the location, can sometimes appreciate in value. Um, you're building equity, so you know a lot of money is spent on homes, but there's some positive value there. Um, as far as the the cars, I mean, we we know the stories there. So I'd say the most common one in the NBA is just spending money on luxury vehicles. Great stuff, uh, Justin. Thank you so much for your time. If there's anything additional that you'd like to tell our listeners or that you'd like me to write about that I haven't covered. Uh, please let me know. Is there anything that we didn't discuss that you'd like to? Yeah. You know, I think it's important for listeners and readers um, to understand that, you know, the, the NBA guys and athletes for that matter, aren't as bad as everybody thinks. I think the media covers, you know, all the horror stories and the guys who went broke and, and, the, and that sells and that, and that's a huge headline, but there's a lot of guys that are doing it the right way. There's a lot of clients that want the knowledge and, um, they're hiring the right people and they're very, being very scrutinous about who they hire um, and asking a lot of great questions. I think the NBA is uh, looking for high character players and they want, um, you know, guys in there that are going to not only be great basketball players, but be great people. And and I'm seeing that directly with, you know, with my clients. And so uh, just any listeners that are out there that have this preconceived no- notion and idea that every professional athlete is irresponsible um, in their personal lives or financially, um, just understand that there's a large subset of guys who are doing things the right way and are extremely intelligent and educated. for listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today